Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. and welcome to this week's episode of the Proper Class Podcast. I'm Laura Checkley. And I'm Hannah Chiswick. And we are, of course, here to celebrate all things working class, because if we don't, who the bloody hell will? As always, we sit down with a working class hero to celebrate their life and achievements and discuss just how they got to where they are today. So on that note, who are we celebrating this week, Law? Well, guess what, everyone? I've got a mate in today, Kel Surprise. I think the surprise is you've got mates. <laughs> I know, crazy, isn't it? Actually, he's also really good friends with our producer, Michelle, So, who, by the way, definitely done a number on him to get him on this show today because... Let me tell you, folks, this week's guest never involves himself in this sort of fluff, like never. Michelle said to me, should we ask him if he'll come on the show? And I said verbatim, here's what I said, I said, go for your life, Mish, but I bet he tells you to fuck off. And she said, yeah, he probably will, but let's give it a go anyway. And guess what? He didn't. And he's here and I'm genuinely (laughs) surprised. I mean, basically what I'm trying to say is it's an exclusive. It'll never happen again. So drink it up. Yeah, all right. Thank you. Get on with it. Who is it, please? (laughs) Right. Well, this week's guest is a hugely successful stage and screen actor with an impressive career that spans over two decades. That'll make him feel old. You may recognise him from shows such as White's, Threesome, Lovesick, Sherlock, Bluestone 42, Manhunt, The Paradise and not forgetting the groundbreaking multi-award winning I May Destroy You for the BBC. Most recently though, you've seen him playing series regular Gary Campbell on Channel 4's new hit drama, Scream. Mm -mm. Mm, Heard that show's very good. I heard The Blonde Bird in it is particularly good. Yeah, you only heard that from yourself. Continue. (laughs) No stranger to the big screen either this week's guest has starred in hit blockbuster movies such as thor the dark world men in black international and and to name but a few he's a damn fine stage actor too and in 2007 won an evening standard award for outstanding newcomer for his performance in Duan juan it don juan i mean i juan hope juan. you can say it better than me <laughs> Duan juan in soho at the don mar warehouse <laughs> oh that's really funny and let me tell you it doesn't stop there this guy has done the lot west end rsc the royal exchange the national in Basically, you name the theatre. He's been there, done that and trodden the bloody boards, darling. Dear Lord. <laughs> he really has. He played the title role McQueen in the West End and was nominated for a Livery Award for his performance in Dealer's Choice. And he's not long finished a hugely successful run starring opposite Bill Pullman in Madhouse at the Ambassador's Theatre, which was, guess where, Laura? In the bloody West End, darling! No, but in all seriousness, folks, I know he's a pal, but this guy right here is without a doubt one of our country's best character actors who I have had the privilege of playing opposite. Listeners, please give a very warm, proper class podcast welcome to the man who had to pretend to Roger me from behind 
find in a grubby old toilet in Glasgow. It's Stephen White. <laughs> All your brilliant work ruined by that last yeah. paragraph. Well, no, that sort of sums up my career, really. <laughs> Uh, down the toilet. That, yeah. was, that was quite excruciating, but mental to hear. I'll just correct you. I, I, I know I was never in Thor Dark World, but no. there's weirdly, I think somewhere on the internet, it has me in that film. But I, but I have worked with Hemsworth um, fleetingly, but not, not on the, the Dark World. What do you mean Wikipedia wasn't we might true? not bother now. <laughs> How does it feel hearing all that back, though? Uh, yeah, it's mental, really. Um, I, I don't sit there and sort of have a, you know, a Benson and Hedges and sort of reflect on my career. But I, I do think that there is a pitfall in our business that you can constantly be fearing about, which we all do anyway, but you can constantly be fearing about where the next work's coming from and you don't take mm -hmm. a moment to reflect. And I often, you know, to check the ego at any point, you, you, you think if, if, if I'd had like a smidgen of what you just said there and said to myself at drama school, you'd have 5% of that, you know, I'd sort of bite anyone's hand off. So, yeah. you know, it, yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's, it is crazy. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's flattering in, in the best possible sense. And actually, actually that was only like half of it, really. There was loads I had to leave out. Obviously, put in Thor, which you weren't even yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> that was a waste. <laughs> Made the wrong choice there, didn't Made you, Lord? the wrong choice there. <laughs> so, Steve, we start each week asking our guests to take us back to a time and a place uh, that connects them to their working class roots. So if you could take us and the listeners back anywhere today, where would that be? Uh, when I've got this question in prep, I was like, oh, and I think, I'd have to take you back to where I grew up when I moved to when I was six years old, which is, I'd have to say, the Isle of Wight. Mm. Um, it's small enough where it could be someone, some man's house. Um, and it was a place that afforded me and granted me all, all of the the abilities to, to kind of have an amazing youth, but also my high school had a theatre and the bonding that you make on a small island and like the experiences you have and it it would be the Isle of Wight and I'd probably take you to like Compton Beach or to Ventnor or somewhere like that where I had a lot of um you know <laughs> youthful experiences. And um what do you think like Obviously, a lot of people say growing up in small towns can feel quite suffocating, can't they? Feel like everyone knows your business. Mm. But do you feel like that? Like you, I just you just said there, it had some sort of advantage to that. Did you feel like it was a supportive community? Like, was it quite a working class one that you grew up in? Yeah, definitely. I think the thing about the island is it was just safe. You know, like you can only go so far. It's mm. like fifteen and a half high by like twenty two miles across. I think. I think it's like essentially like the the size of Zone One with like a fraction of the population of, of London and you, and to have that through your, like your teenage years where you could just go where anywhere and do anything like go to the beach and there was a safety I don't know the, the small townness is that it is that on steroids when on an island because you are you are trapped to an extent you have to get a boat to get off you can't you can't just get on a train you can't just jump in the car you you know that there is a finite distance you can travel before you you hit a body of water so the intensity of that feeling of naturally craving to to feel 
what other things are like other than the Isle of Wight. It, it, it's kind of magnified, really, from, from a small town sense. But it was an amazing place to grow up because it, it was just safe. You know, everyone knew everyone's business. And, yeah, you could get up to all sorts of mischief. But I think your parents knew they were safe. Um, there's a real disparity on the Isle of Wight as well. Um, and I think it's got a lot worse over the years. You know, I I, I, I still go back. My, my, my parents have moved off, but my in-laws are still there. Um, but the disparity between the rich and poor has got significantly worse over the years. I mean, it is, you know, you, you, you've got the kind of, uh, I don't want to, you know, do a cliche pigeonhole, but you've got like the sailing community and, and that kind of wealth and second homeowners. And then mm. the island is very much based on when they had the, the first Isle of Wight festival, what would have been the last Isle of Wight festival before the new generation so when Jimi Hendrix and that played basically thousands of people just didn't bother leaving mm, wow and so the Isle of Wight has this undercurrent of kind of hippie bohemia un, uh, under it all so there's a real kind of subculture that is born out of generations of people just like free mm. peace and love and there's also elements of the wicker man about it you know? yes it's, <laughs> it's it's strange wonderful like plays. I, I, when I saw Jerusalem with Mark Rylance at the Royal Court years ago, when Chloe, my wife, who grew up there as well, when we watched that, we were like, oh my God, this is, you know, this is like the island. You know, it's the rural countryside England um, or Britain. So it's really interesting yeah. to hear that, like, even though obviously it's a small island and a small population, there's still like a really distinct class divide there. Like, was that in as much as you sort of as pronounced as when you moved to London and, you know, in terms of schools and were there, like, affluent schools and schools for, like, poorer areas? Yeah, absolutely. Or... I, I think it's like anywhere in the country. I, I think, you know, I was quite protected from it. My parents are were, you know, are, were working class, but we never... Uh, I, I was quite privileged in the sense, I suppose, that I never... We never wanted for anything, you know, that they made that move to the island to give us a better life in terms of the environment, but also work for both of them. It was a work opportunity for my dad and my mum, who was part time. So they worked, they worked incredibly hard there all their lives to kind of give us that step up. And I'm, I'm sure you're in the same boat is that when you come from that, that, that's the thing of like, you're, you're constantly working to make it better. But there was always like, it, there's one private school on the other white ride private. And you always knew that, you know, that, that was the elite school and mm. oh he goes or they he she goes to ride private or whatever but yeah and then you had your estates there you know even on that small island yeah you know i i was discussing with um uh my oldest friend ben who i've known since i was six and he he still lives there but you know i suppose it, when you're a kid it's actually with adult eyes and adult reflection that you look at some of the people that you used to hang out with and some of the houses that you used to go to. We were all working class, but you'd go to some people's houses mm. and, you know, whatever you want, however you want to label it under much more difficult situations or poverty or whatever. But I suppose when you're that age, when you're six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, you know, you, you, you don't really see it in the way that you do as you get older. Talk to us about growing up then, um, like your, your, you say your mum and dad were working class. Um, what did they do and um, like for a living and 
Uh, was there anyone in your family interested in the arts? Or? Well, my dad uh, was a chippy for many years, but then when he moved to the Isle of Wight, he did manual work doing uh, building parts for like airplanes and and for uh, GKN. Uh, they did sort of industrial segments of machinery and, and vehicle parts. So he's very much on the production line. And then my mum was a flitted between being a full-time and a part-time accountant for independent businesses on there and no one in my family or even my extended family had ever done any any higher education my brother basically went through college and then got a job very early on and now works in it he's really successful successful in it so the whole singing and dancing gene as my parents like to call it like there's no history Really, I mean, my grandfather, who I never knew on my mum's side, used to play the piano and sing, but that's it. So I'm, I'm I, you know, I, I, like a lot of people in in the industry, I think, particularly from a working class background, you, you, you kind of are that weird black sheep of the family because it's it's a difficult industry to make make your way in. But, yeah, they were amazingly supportive. I, I, I basically got into the arts through um, wanting to get an early lunch when I was at high school. So on, on the Isle of Wight, it's changed now, but we had a primary, middle and high school. And so when I was in my first year, I think it was at high school, um, if you were saying that you're auditioning for the school musical, you could get an early lunch and you could jump the lunch queue. So me and three mates decided we'd do that so we could go out and play football earlier. And we got busted by the drama teacher and she said, you'll get, I'll, bring you in for detention unless you come along and audition. And so we had to audition for the school musical, got in, loved it, had a lot of fun, didn't think anything of it. And then they encouraged me. I wasn't having any of it. And then there was a everyone's GCSEs. The following year, there was an administrative error with the computer system, which back in like 1991 was not you know unusual people still like what are computers so there was like this administrative error and it meant i I, for my gcse's of my art section i'd done art music then drama so drama was my third choice and you never got your third choice but i was put into the drama department and you know on the cusp of being a teenager i couldn't be asked to change it um so i ended up doing drama still really liked it and then um when it came to a levels i just did theater studies because it was the third one that i was encouraged to do and it i was just like yeah all right i'll do that it's it it complements english literature and uh <laughs> in all honesty i if i hadn't have got into drama school the year that i did i probably wouldn't wouldn't have pursued it how was going to drama center and finding yourself in london after obviously being in you know the the lovely sort of free life bubble of of the isle of wight yeah it I mean, it really was like this kid. I went at 18. I was so wet behind the ears. The person that I went in in 1998 and the person that I came out in 2001 were, were two distinctly different people. It was it was amazing, you know. London at that time, just towards the end of the 90s, and I was under one of my best friends who was in my year at drama school. He, he always said that what a city does a city like London does is that it gives you the opportunity for reinvention and anonymity. You you can actually discover the person you want to become. And I think 
I mean, it was my year at drum school. My it, my actual year was so diverse and mental. It was absolutely a mental training. The stuff that went on and the stuff that I witnessed in and outside of the training. But to go from the Isle of Wight yeah. <laughs> um, to that was was you know it was an explosion of experiences. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Let me just take you back slightly because obviously you said you sort of fell into drama because you wanted to get out and play some footy on the in, in the in the playground. Who told you about drama school and and when you suggested that to your parents, were they uh, were, were they happy to follow that or did they try and encourage you into more academia? Like my parents were basically like, whatever you want to do to my, me and my brother, whatever you want to do, we'll support you. Go ahead. There was no like amazingly like no question in it you know if that's what you want to do go for it um again like so much fortune and fate and luck and i think that when you're working class you need a lot of that that momentum so when yeah when i got into drama center they were they were essentially a private college so the fees were I think it was it worked out to this was in the late 90s so it was like 8,000 a year I think if memory serves me cor- correctly yeah. roughly about that now I could get a student loan but I had to pay for rent in London live away from home feed myself yeah my parents were like it's okay you know we'll, we'll, we'll sort it we'll sacrifice and they sacrificed a great deal what I didn't know and what was incredibly fortunate is that drama center during my first year they as a college had to affiliate themselves with a university so they could get funding and then then you could get a scholarship you could get student loan and and all of that that thing if drama center had stayed a private drama school and not been forced to join what was uh, at the Lancashire University I think it was then I wouldn't have been able to get a student loan. The fees wouldn't have gone down. It wouldn't have been covered because of my parents' uh, financial circumstances. And it was only when I was, I think, halfway through my second year, coming home from like a first or second term, that my mum said, if they hadn't have done that, you wouldn't. we would have had to say to you, we cannot afford this any longer. And I would have had to have stopped the training at the end of the first year. But I knew people that their parents were like remortgaging their house and stuff to just put, their, their their child through drama school which is so incredible like and just like mad it's just so expensive and like you said it's not even just the paying for the fees it's the living and 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 can your parents support that you get student loan but it ain't much is it do you think um obviously you were saying it was quite diverse uh where you where you were at uh the drama center do you feel like we're losing a bit of that now like when you look at how it is under the Tories and how impossible it must be now to go to drama school, I can't even imagine. The short answer, absolutely yes. Um, just to extend, when I came out of drama school, I was living with, who is still my best friend, a guy called Sean. He, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, came from a much more affluent background. He was able to buy a flat in North London and I lived with him. He would say to me, don't worry about this month's rent. When you got it, you give it to me. Wow. And I racked up quite a bit of debt with him. I paid him back. And he said, I knew you paid me back. But if I hadn't, if he, if I hadn't, again, had the luck of that circumstance, 
I couldn't have afforded to stay in London. Mm. I wouldn't have had the time and the ability to go to the meetings and do the work on the meetings that I needed. One of the, the hardest things when you're working class and you're working two, three jobs to pay for a rent in London, and then you're being asked now to self-tape or drop everything and go for a meeting at the last minute. You know, there are so many sacrifices and so many barriers. Beyond the personal circumstances, I think that what happened during COVID and the lack of support from the government, comparatively to, say, the airline industry, which lobbied the government, the lack of support Uh that Mm -hmm. the theatre and the arts industry got, I think tells you everything you needed to know about what the Tories think about a working class system within our arts. I've always said that the arts are like religion and the press. They're a form of protest and, and, and accountability for our government. Now, whether that's a literal storytelling in theatre or whether mm. it's a, a subversive form of cultural commentary through music or sculpture or art or theatre or film or TV, if we do not have that, it is a form of accountability and a form of education, I, I, you know, not, not to big up our show, but Screw does that a lot. Mm. You know, it tackles a, tip, a difficult social subject like prisons and what we do with prisoners and how we feel about it. And it explores it through mm-hmm. what working class characters who have very differing opinions. Mm. Now, that's one example of a story of, you know, look, I, I love a period drama and all that, but, it, but it's about stories that are told and, and the stories that we want to tell and the less opportunity at grassroots level whether that's regional theatres which are closing at an alarming rate you know the opportunities for working class voices to learn on stage or either writing or performing or yeah if if that is not there then it it doesn't trickle Mm. trickle down trickle up into the industry there's like literally no they're not the right word really there's very little impetus there's very little benefit to the government to create opportunities for working class art uh, because as you said really it's often a form of protest a form of holding a mirror up it's a, a form of like raising voices and like there's 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 so little um reason for them to do that and in fact it's sort of dangerous for them the, the kind of art that they like to protect is what they would consider high art isn't it and they're you know you saw that really in, in which institutions got the money during covid like who got the big payouts and it was it was like ridiculous things i mean the eno does amazing work of course it does there's room for everything but that's the sort of work that's of zero danger to them giving artistic voices to young working class people and making that part of the school curriculum and really like having that access is just not only is it sort of pointless to them it's like actively Mm. dangerous i think no it doesn't serve their agenda um and I, I do, I think it poses a threat. And I think COVID just accelerated, but also highlighted their view of the arts. Mm. So when you came out of drama school, let's, let's, let's go back to that. Um, so you come out, you've got a cushy deal with your mate, Jesus. So obviously, like, it's really interesting to me talking about having the space to learn and create. I mean, I was speaking to you on a uh, set, uh, I think sort of last year saying to you, yeah, I've only really stopped working, like working as in not an actor in the last sort of couple of years. Like I've had to teach and have a million other 
jobs and, uh, and and stuff along the way. So talking about having space is so interesting to me. And we were talking, I don't know if you remember this, Hannah, when we spoke to Blake Harrison about also having the privilege to pick uh, projects that could also form a good path for you so you know I'd, I'd often I've been lucky enough to have jobs that have been quite done quite well or like won a BAFTA but you know sort of like oh didn't know that was gonna happen I just picked it I just did it because it was a fucking job but some people aren't fortunate enough that they have to kind of go I'll, I'll take a bit of that I'll take a bit of that and you when you're working class you can't you don't have the space or the time to go Do you know what I'm not I'm gonna say no to that job because I don't like the script I need that job I need to pay for my rent I need to pay for my mortgage do you feel like like I know you you sort of touched on it anyway. Do you feel like if you hadn't have had that space, you'd be you'd be back in Isle of Wight now doing something totally different? I don't know. I took everything that was offered to me when I started because that just felt like the most. Well, I needed to because I needed the money. You know, like my mate, I st- you know, yeah. you're still in debt. It's just the, the 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 beautiful thing is is that I'm not incurring interest. And yeah. I suppose what Sean gave me and I will forever be grateful is he gives you the emotional space and capacity to not like to just for someone to be like it's all right you'll be we'll be all right I'll look after you and that it it takes the pressure off of the job the 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 meeting It, it it subconsciously and consciously of course you want every job but when when there's that way of if I don't get this now it's like sport performance, that psychology. If I don't get this now, I'm homeless or I've got to go back home, tail between my legs, whatever you feel, your ego, all of that. Once that is alleviated, that is a wonderful gift to give an artist because mm. it gives you a, a, a subconscious freedom to express yourself in a lot mm. a lot easier way. I look, you know, I was I was lucky. I, I you know, I did the telly sales, I did the chugging on the street when it was chugging on the street. Yeah. No one knew who chuggers were when I was back in the day and people would stop and sign up. Um, so I always feel when I see those people and they're like, you got a minute? I'm like, I'm really sorry. I haven't. And I used to do what you did. So I, I you know, I, I'd not long, I'd, I'd done about 18 months of like telephone work and chugging on the street. And then I got the job with the RSC and then, yeah. I mean, then there's another aspect of, I was lucky that I was doing telework. Telework pays a lot more than theatre and, to go back to now the present that's another thing like the cost of living if you are not um, subsidizing your theater work i don't think people are making a lot of money and they're struggling it's difficult to live in london and to work in theater i've been a theater director for 20 years and i definitely wouldn't become one now like if i was coming starting out now i just there's just no way it was hard enough then anyway i mean actually i was lucky similar in the way my parents lived in london so i was able to and they were very supportive um so i could go home and live there rent free for the first couple of years when i was working as an assistant and i was working for free cuz you know so much of our so much of the theatre industry particularly is for free when you get go especially why do you need a 20 year old director do you know what I mean so there was no reason to have to create jobs for myself you know and to get going otherwise yeah there's no way of starting but there is no doubt in my mind when I think about it now that I there's no way that I could start a career as a director now it's just not sustainable is it I mean got loads of mates who are like in the, the west end and they're like having to 
do daytime jobs. And you're like, but you're in a West End musical. But it is madness that you cannot just, they work so fucking hard. They're doing eight shows a week and you can't just go and do that job. Like it's not enough. It's 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 unbelievable. And then when people say to me, oh, do you do a lot of theatre? I go, I'll be honest, no, don't pay anything. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I'll, I'll carry on doing telly because it pays more, end of. But there's, there's so many aspects to the lifestyle as well. I, I didn't really think of it in this way, but like people who've got kids and if you're doing theatre, your timetable of work is completely against 99% of how society works. Yep. You're not a nine-to-fiver. There's a lot of Sunday shows now. So if you want to do stuff with your kids or there's birthdays on the weekend mm. and you've got a matinee in an evening, and, you know, these are people that are, I hate to call it jobbing actors, but they're, they're not jobbing. They're working actors and they're, they're, they're working hard to sustain a, a, a career in an industry that is very perilous. I also think, you know, going back to what you said, Hannah, about, you know, or would I do it now? There's so many elements, dynamics to the business that have changed. I am so fortunate that when I came out that there it wasn't the plethora of self-tapes. I have a physical face-to-face relationship with so many casting oh, directors. Yeah. And it meant that I was a ringer, yeah. you know, like they'd get 12 people in for a role because that's all they had time for. And you'd maybe be yeah. number 13 or 14. Yeah. You'd be a little ringer going, let's just get him in. And even if you didn't get the job, you always worked your ass off, worked your bollocks off because you make a good impression. Now, what, 70, 80 people in for, for a self-tape? And it's a lot. It's a lot. And I think mm. the, I call it like the X factor uh, syndrome, which is this desire to have it all now. Like, I want to be a star. I want to do this. I think I had a friend who used to be um, the head of a drama school and he was like, you know, it's all geared towards camera work. I had three hours of camera work. Yeah. In three years at Drama <laughs> yeah, Centre, yeah. essentially. You know, it was, it was, it's such, I mean, it was a classical training school, but it was amazing training. But now, you know, that, that element, that dynamic, I think there's an element of theatre, the, the craft being lost. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Actually, I wanted to talk to you about something because I know it's, um, I, I'm sure you won't mind me uh, saying. You said to me you'd made a conscious decision to change your work, your accent slightly to, um, I guess, I guess, water it down, um, speak better. Uh, and I want to know what was behind that. I know what was behind that, but obviously tell our listeners what was behind that decision to do that and how you found that has affected or improved your career. Uh, yeah, I, I think regional accents uh, have a fashion about them sometimes. And I think it's about what's hot. Mm. The, the the problem with London accent is you're either doing, you know, foot soldier seven, uh, something about gangsters, football hooligans or EastEnders. You know, there's always a, there's always a grittiness, you know, it's a, you know, you think London, you think nil by mouth, you think London or Cockney, you think EastEnders, you know, but you think the North, you think, Coronation Street, whatever. I was just acutely aware that as a character actor, the more you can present a neutrality, the easier you're making it for yourself to be seen as something other. Um, I'm not ashamed of my London accent. I'm not aware of how broad or or not it is. but yeah, it, it was conscious, but it wasn't conscious to go, I don't want to be that. Mm. Look, working class, it's a cliche that you have your chip on your shoulder, but you do for the numerous reasons and for reasons. I think there's an element of when you're working in an industry that is predominantly run by establishment, That's there's a ceiling you get to and then you meet... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, you just say, oh, God, how, how bad is this going to sound? But you get to the kind of Oxford, Cambridge footlights, you get to the, you know, the, uh, that whole Tom Hiddleston speech that he gave of whatever it was, mm. you know, Uxbridge, Cambridge, Eton, the Oscars, Hollywood, whatever. And I think that's it. There's some certain business life works like that about your connections. And I think sometimes that you you can put people off. People can be put off by yeah. whether you have, are articulate the dialogue colloquialism to use. Also, I think that, um, you know, uh, our age as well, Steve, you know, <coughs> 41, I'm sorry. Um, I think that um, when we were graduating and we were in drama school, we were being told to water down your accent. We were being told you won't get work. Well, you might get work, but you'll play the cleaner or you'll play the maid and and all that sort of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. I fucking love those characters. It's where I lean into best for sure. And I have definitely found that, 
I am or have been up until now limited in a way um, with the castings that I get. And I know that you and I were talking about it, like you might go in, like, and it makes sense going into a room and going, right, I'm going up for an aristocrat, so I'm not going to make my accent. I'm going to just sort of, yeah, be clearer. And because, unfortunately, some people don't have an imagination, um, but it just it just grinds my gears. I, I just I guess it just grinds my gears that you had to do that. And ultimately, it kind of worked for you, didn't it? Yeah, I, I suppose in a sense what it is is that, you know, it, a drama school is like, you know, Christopher, who was our old principal, you know, be like, you know, if you're going up for an army army soldier and you're going up for a casting, you know, wear khaki, you know, wear, get some fatigues, <laughs> give them the idea. And I suppose it's that, you know, it's like, okay, take some of the heavy lifting out of that for the casting director. I don't place any blame on them. I don't feel angry about it. I just go, listen, you're pushing against the system. If you go in there like that and you just go in and you wear a baseball cap and you're wearing a track suit, they're never going to fucking cast you as X. You know, I I, I, I play poker with some very well-known actors and you know, I'm not going to name drop, but they play the aristocratic leads and i was having a bit and they're brilliant lads and i was like we're having a good discussion about it i was like they will cast you down but they will never cast me up in a class sense yes that yes is very difficult and that and that starts with your voice but also i get it i would actually have to physically study about the way that they hold themselves and and just how they are because Mm. They have stepped through life in a very different way than I I have. And, you know, Christ, no poor is me. I I have had a lovely life and stuff. But, you know, I I don't know what it's like to be X and live that life. I don't know, you know, on the same end of the spectrum, I don't know. You know, I suppose if you're someone who looks a certain way and is constantly followed around a supermarket because of the way you dress by security and you're just like, oh, man. Mm. you're constantly being labelled. So the more labels you take off yourself, the easier it is for the industry. And that's no fault of theirs. That's just make your job easier. Like be sensible about it. Recognise what are the challenges and the barriers that you have, but make an active decision to change that. If, if you were, if you were going to go in and play someone who is a businessman and you don't go into the meeting wearing something smart, and you just go in in jeans and a T-shirt. This takes me back to, didn't you paint yourself blue, entirely blue for a part? <laughs> yes, I did. And I think you got it, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. There you go, kids. Yeah. That's commitment. That's it. There you yeah, go. Yeah, I had a weekend. <laughs> Chloe was away for the weekend. And, I was, you know, it was, a, it was a slow day in the office. And I went, fuck <laughs> it. Amazon Prime. Get yourself some blue paint. Uh, it's an absolute fucking nightmare because my bathroom is mainly white. So the clean up <laughs> afterwards... Christ, it probably took longer than the self-tape. Trying to get the blue off her. Blue hands, blue face. Yeah. Yeah. Because you seem like you've, um, like you say, you're playing poker with the, the guys who play the aristocrats and you're living with your mate in his, in his flat and he obviously came from money. and So it feels like you've moved quite easily, like, in those circles. Do you like many of our guests, even when they do do that, do you ever get any imposter syndrome? Have you at any point on a set, in a rehearsal room, has there been any moments where you've just felt like out of place? It's a good question. My instinct is 
to say no because I have always felt that on a just on a human level, everyone is equal. <laughs> so my mum and mum always, mum and dad always like P's and Q's don't cost you anything. Please and thank yous, they're free. And as long as you're nice, like if you're not nice, it doesn't matter where you come from or who you are. I'm just not going to like you. Yeah. But if you're nice, I don't care like how much money you have or how much money you don't have or where you come from. I'm like interested in you as a person. Everyone's got an arsehole. Everyone's got an arsehole. Yeah. Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> there's your there's your podcast merchandise. And thanks that guys. That's another band. episode. And remember, yeah. And remember, everyone's got an arsehole. I'm Laura Checkley. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I suppose it's just uh, this part of me that, and I, I uh, this is not me like bigging myself up. You know, when you work hard, you just say, fuck, fuck you, man. I've worked hard. <laughs> like, I work hard, like all my self tapes, all my yeah. auditions, whatever it is. I love that about you. And I love, I, I get that sense when I work with you. Like, I knew you were going to say no to that question. I knew you were. And I admire that so hugely in you and I've, I've learned so much working with you because you're like no stick up for yourself say you know say say how you feel and 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 be present be speak up on so you've actually taught me at the grand old age of 43 to sort of speak up on set and not in a bad like in, when it feels right to go oh actually yeah do I want to do that do, and to not go oh god I'm so happy I'm so lucky to be here and I was, oh, don't mind me I'm in the way like I've always felt like that as a person but that's something I have been working on my whole life and I know Han, Han's really good at it now you'll, you'll I think being a mum has changed you immensely but um yeah, I think I've like, got time. <laughs> I've got time for this shit. It's bullshit. But you, you, you've always been so great at that, and I've admired, I've admired that hugely. And um, because I think most people, it doesn't matter what class you're from, in a way. But I think particularly working class, we can often feel like we're we're, we're really lucky to be there. And as actors, I think we're those beasts, aren't we? Like you should feel lucky to be working. And actually, it's like no, I've worked really fucking hard, and I deserve this. Actually, it's an interesting thing that because I think like. We're lucky to find something that we enjoy doing that is our job, but we're not lucky to be working. Mm-hmm. I think that idea that you're lucky to be working is a very divisive and very powerful way of not treating people very well sometimes. Absolutely. Because this idea, oh, we're just so lucky to be here. We're not competition winners. No, totally. Do you know what I mean? It's like You know, like you're saying, no imposter syndrome, and you've always got such a great confidence in yourself and your uh, how you hold yourself Um do you get that? Does that come from your parents, like, in your upbringing? Do you think that sort of... No, you go into a room and you fucking do you. <laughs> no. Or is it something you've learned along the way? Do you know what? I genuinely, I don't, I don't know where that's come from. I really don't. It must be Drama Centre. Right. Because, honestly, I, I, it, it sounds like a wanky thing to say, but it literally was like going in like a caterpillar like I had a terrible charity shop leather jacket and West Ham scarf and these gold rimmed glasses. And I'd, I'd basically just sneak around, hunched over, and wouldn't say boo to a goose. And, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, 18. And then came out 21, you know, having painted myself red, naked, running through a church hall, you know, just tr- <laughs> mental stuff that I trained. And I think that, that training just... Just sort of went, fuck it, man. So uh, I think it grew out of my training. Drama Centre was mental. 
and the best training I could have ever wished for. Yeah. I think I, I hand on heart, it was the best training in the world at the time. Um, I was so fortunate to go there, but, and I think it's surrounding yourself with good people. Like I have, I have wonderful friends and I've worked with wonderfully talented people throughout the years. And you, you got to constantly ask yourself questions about yourself, about where you want to yeah. be. What is, what is ambition to you? What is, what is your plan in life? And, you know, if you if if you just if you're stagnant and you and you don't ask those questions of yourself, I don't I don't think you can self improve, and that, and that means asking hard questions of yourself, particularly in this business. I think. And I know you said you um you've got uh, posh mates that you play poker with and stuff. Do you find yourself? Uh, do you find that you still gravitate towards working class people though? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, well, you do, yeah. Because you, well, you just got more, you know, you got more in common. Like, it's yeah, me and but you, you do, we, don't you? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know when you and I first started working together, we just there's like a shorthand, isn't there? There's just a shorthand yeah. and a comfort. And even though you take the piss out of me royally, and um, you're the biggest irritant I've ever <laughs> met, um, you we 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 get each other, and it's like there's just it's that, just all those shared experiences of just going, yeah, yeah, you know. Would you still consider yourself working class, even though I know we're not technically living one now, we live very middle class lives, we're comfortable. Uh, do you still feel working class? We always talk about this, we always go, what makes one working class? Is it in your roots? Is it what you've got in front of you now? Uh, I, I, I'd probably have to say no, because I'd, I'd, I'd feel, it would feel, dis- it, uh, truly it would feel disrespectful yeah. to call myself working class. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I get that. Um, that isn't to say, yeah. you know, Chloe's a good reminder. She's like, well, you work bloody hard. Like I, you know, I've got mates who are from working class background and they're like, yeah, but it's all right for you because you've known what you wanted to do. And you know, and that pisses me off because I'm like, do you know how much sacrifice? Like I've missed weddings, birthdays and stuff because I've worked my ass off and I've mm-hmm. sacrificed everything to make this. I've worked hard, but I've, at this moment in time, touch wood, you know, I have got myself into a position where I, yeah. I, it would be disrespectful to say I'm working class because I can sit on my ass for two days and not do anything if I want to. Mm-hmm. That's not working class. That's privilege. That's real. That's, yeah. you know, I, I am in an incredibly privileged position. I've worked hard but it's to get in to you. that position. But it's in you though, isn't it? Oh, uh, It's oh, in you though, isn't it? Like yeah. being working class is... yeah. That will never leave you. I mean, I don't know if for you, like I always just feel like I'm terrified of the money running oh. out. I'm also guilty that I've got more money than I've ever had before. The guilt is real. Do you have that? Fuck all day, every day. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's the money and the job where you're like, I'll never work again. Mm. You know, how long has this paycheck got to last me? That's the thing. It's like you, you go, oh, lovely. Mm. but how fucking long has it got to last you and you go you just you know it's like zombie apocalypse disaster scenario (laughs) you know you're like that long for as long as it needs to be and the fear of not working again and the fear of the money running out that's the reality i have nothing to fall back on it's me i am responsible for Mm -hmm. my comfort i don't my mum and dad who are still with us but they do not have any money you know they are retired and they they got nothing, you know. My brother's doing really well, so if it really went tits up, I'd have to go begging, bowling yeah. in. But even he is not wealthy, you know. He's not, you know. So no, so it's on me. Yeah. And I have got mates who go, God, it's difficult. Blah blah blah. I'm like, yeah, is it difficult trying to work out whether you can still afford the nanny? 
why don't you just sell your second property? That'll sort it out. And they're really good about it because they go, yeah, cheers, thanks for reality check. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. You really don't have, you really don't have to worry in the way worry is. Yeah. You know, look at the fucking news where we are at the moment. Food banks. You, you look at the doctors and the nurses and the carers, and you know that 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 when you're working class and you get paid well, we we work hard. Like people always go, oh, really? No, we work hard, but I, there is guilt. Yeah. transposed onto that and that's why you, you know when you when you realize how hard your parents had to work and you go oh i'm getting paid x for that you know and you know or i'm working hard but I, I i need to make that money i need to be true to what that money is really worth not just to me at this moment but what that i look at that figure in my bank account or I look at that figure of my weekly paycheck and you go it's you know it's, it's a real dichotomy yeah do you know what I think a big difference in uh, the fact that, like, I mean, I stayed and worked in the bloody theatre, so I haven't made a bloody penny because no one pays you to do theatre. So that was a big fucking error, wasn't it? <laughs> you fucking fool, love. You're a bloody fool, darling. <laughs> Come over to the dark side. <laughs> Literally, my first agent was like, when I first graduated, my first agent was like, oh, I've got some TV meetings for you. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know. I but think I I'm want a theatre the director. Love, I enjoy what a work. massive fucking dick. <laughs> Honestly, anyway, we can't go back in time, so that's that. <laughs> but, the, um... <laughs> but I do think there is something about, like, um, one of the things that I would say that, and this isn't true of all people who come from money, absolutely not, because I know loads of people who come from money and are wonderful, kind, empathetic humans, of course. But I do think also if you've made a lot of money, it's very unlikely that you look down on people who haven't and think that they are intrinsically lazy because we all know... Like, I work ridiculously hard. I work six days a week. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate that, you know, I'm always in a rehearsal room. But nevertheless, I have to do about 400 shows a year to make a living. But the truth is, you know, I've got loads of mates who don't work in the theatre who work equally hard and are really, really, really struggling. And I think that's one of the things that, that will stay in you having come from a working class background always is that we know that people who don't have money are not intrinsically lazy yeah. people. Yeah. And I'm not sure that, I think that's a harder thing to necessarily understand if you have always come from money. Agreed. Yeah. But, but I think that from a political and a social point of view, my problem with a capitalist economic model that we still sort of obtain to, which is this trickle down economics is bullshit. It should be trickle up. And they will feed us that constantly because they go, trust us, it'll work. We make him really rich. And then the, the wages thing, bollocks. Give the, the large population the money and that will trick up. What you don't think we want to go away on holiday and we want nice things. And it's like, I know, look, you know, we've got the environment. We can't just all buy nice things. But the fact that the, the basic quality of life in this country at the moment is, is really down the shitter. You know, you, people should be have a good access to organic food. Yeah, they should. The, the cheapest thing should not be a highly processed whatever. Fill in the blank. You know, healthcare should not be on its knees, and we should. You know, if you're looking at it and half thinking that you could afford it, that you should be thinking that because you're playing into the hands. Going, see, do need to go private. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. those those things, it, it it hurts. It hurts, and it's about a misunderstanding of what the Tories have always done, which is divide and conquer and, you know, 
label them as scroungers and benefit cheats and all of that because it perpetuates their their necessity to paint us as such. Right, well, obviously I could go on. I mean, listen, we need to get down the pub and talk more about this. Um, but alas, we can't, Steve. I need to let you go. He'll be thrilled. He's like, great. <laughs> He's, I'm out of here. he's got a new ladder for his loft. I know he needs to go and work out. So, um, but <laughs> we always finish the show on um, on a, a final question, which is um, obviously we've been celebrating you today and your career and your journey. Um, but if you could celebrate uh, a working class hero today, um, who would that be? Uh, it, it would have to be uh, probably really unoriginal, but actually I think it would have to be my mum and dad because. It's very easy to take for granted that two people that just go, yep, go and do it and we'll figure it out. And again, that emotional support and capacity to allow you to go and do that. For me and my brother to both be able to do that and and it to just feel like the right, like, well, yeah, that's how everyone should be. You know, the older you get, the more you realise how brave and what sacrifices they would have made to, to get me to where I am today, but from the genesis of that. So it would it would be my mum and dad because they gave me the platform to be where I am today. And, uh, and what are their names? Uh, they are Margaret Violet Gray and David William Gray. Well, we're celebrating them as well as you today, Stephen. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Oh, what a great guy. I'm so glad you finally um you finally met. He's a great guy. I can see why you've had such fun like filming with him. Yeah. He's brilliant. I just I've always admired, like I said, I've always just admired his confidence. And I was actually when I first met him, I was surprised to hear that he was sort of work class. I could hear it in his accent and stuff. But yeah, because of how he holds himself and conducts himself. I know what you mean is you know. I I am um, obviously only met him for the first time today and obviously your mates, but uh, I also knew, even from that short like hour together, that he was going to say no. He doesn't have imposter syndrome, and that's good. And I find that so interesting. I oh my god, I, give I mean, me some of that, please. I was thinking about that. You know, I think I uh, I definitely have it less than I used to. Yeah, I definitely have it less than I used to. It's a work in progress. Yeah. But yeah, what a great guy and um, grounded and yeah, brilliant. He's totally grounded and you know I was taking the piss saying he I'm surprised he he did this because he really doesn't engage with any of that nonsense really I say nonsense like this is not nonsense I know how important this podcast is um to you listener but um uh, you know he's not on social media he doesn't he's just not interested in that he's interested in the work in the stories Lovely. and I just admire that hugely in him actually on that I don't know if you noticed I came off Twitter this week Finally, yeah, I have, yeah. I just, I mean, after everything, I know loads of people left after Elon Musk took over and stuff, but I just, um, yeah, I'm trying to, I guess, uh, minimalise my use of all social media and stuff. I know what you cut, mean. Cut to me I doing a dance like... later on Instagram. Um, but It's so difficult because I just don't want to disappoint my 152 <laughs> followers. <laughs> my mum will just be gutted. <laughs> I actually only stayed on Twitter for Kathy Burke, so 
Oh, my, no. Honestly, I'm, I could happily Twitter off, let me oh, tell you. Oh, yeah, I did it and I feel free, let me tell you, listener. Maybe give that a go. Mm. Um, well, that's it for another week, Han. Amazing. All right, babe. Well, it's nice to see you. And nice <laughs> to see you as well. Uh, as well, we'll see you in real life. See you in real life soon, yeah. And uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new guest. Um, so make sure you join us for that. Um, and remember, in the meantime, listener, please keep it classy. Proper Class podcast is produced by Michelle Farscott for Rangaby Productions, edited by James Torrance, with music by Tommy Music. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. Spread the word. Tell your friends, neighbours, whoever will listen. We've also got an Instagram page. Ooh, get us. And you can follow all the news and goss at the Proper Class podcast. And if you haven't nodded off yet, we've also gone and got ourselves an official email. So do get in touch. The email is properclasspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, folks. And remember, keep it classy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.